and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of November 28th, 2022. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And it was a fairly forgettable week, as you would expect, with only four trading days and a lot of people probably taking Friday off, a lot of people perhaps even taking the full week off to spend time with family and friends. And I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. We certainly did out here in Colorado. It was a week that wasn't really defined by anything other than, I guess, when you look at the week, it was up the S&P 500, that is one and a half percent, bringing the year-to-date loss down to 15 and a half percent. But in terms of economic data, in terms of earnings data, there just wasn't a lot there. We had a durable goods number that beat expectations. We had manufacturing and services PMIs that both missed. We had new home sales that were better than expected. So in terms of market moving, surprising economic data or earnings data, there just wasn't much. Perhaps the durable goods beat was the one piece of economic data that caught the market off guard. But by and large, it was a benign week in terms of volumes, in terms of activity, in terms of two-way flow, in terms of creation or redemption activity. We did see all 11 gig sectors up for the week, led by utilities, the best performing sector this week, up just north of 3% XLU. And then we saw materials and financials, two of the best performing sectors this week. The worst performing sector was energy up just 28 basis points. But all in all, we had less than 400 million shares traded across the select sector spider lineup, which is half of what you get in a in a fairly robust week. Flows were also very muted, just shy of 5 million shares in that creation activity for the week. 3 million in healthcare, XLV, two and a quarter million in XLI industrial. So not a lot to talk about for the past week in terms of economic activity, in terms of earnings activity. Once again, we're in the back end of earnings season. So in terms of S&P 500 companies, we're well north of 95% of companies having reported at this point. When you even get down the cap spectrum, there's fewer and fewer influential companies who are reporting earnings. And that's reflective of where we are in this phase of the earnings cycle. It's also reflective of a week in which, once again, a lot of people were out. A lot of people weren't trading the market. A lot of people weren't necessarily even paying attention to the market. And so it eked out a gain of 1.5% in terms of the S&P 500. But by and large, there wasn't a lot to take away from the week, considering you only had four trading days with everyone off for Thanksgiving and just not a tremendous amount of volume on either side of the market. So I think that's a nice segue for us to dig in to the sector in focus this week, which is the consumer discretionary sector. And the reason we're focusing on it is, of course, we're now pivoting into the holiday season. And this is certainly an important season, at least has been historically for sectors like consumer discretionary because of things like Black Friday and all the spending that takes place in the United States, which, of course, is an economy that heavily tilts toward consumer spending. And our friends at Ned Davis recently ran a research piece talking about the seasonal nature of cyclicals versus defensives. And historically, when you get into the last couple months of the year, you do tend to get cyclical leadership. Consumer discretionary, of course, is in that pocket of the market. But when you think about the consumer discretionary sector, you really have to talk about the two biggest stocks in the sector before you talk about anything else. Because like with other sectors that have high concentration at the top of the cap spectrum, consumer discretionary is 
fate is often dictated by those two socks. And when I talk about consumer discretionary, of course, I'm talking about Amazon and Tesla, which make up north of 40% of that sector by weight. And the two stocks, Amazon and Tesla, aren't necessarily the companies that you think about when you think about Black Friday sales or when you think about consumer spending into the holiday season. Now, Amazon, of course, has become this big behemoth in terms of how we get our groceries, how we get our typical staples goods. Also, in theory, how we get our electronics and other discretionary goods. But when you look at profitability, when you look at margins at Amazon, a lot of that is driven by Amazon Web Services, which isn't necessarily a service that touches the consumer. When you look at Amazon and Tesla, both of those stocks are down much more than the sector. Tesla down 48% year-to-date. Amazon down 43.5% year-to-date. And when you look at the contribution to total return for the sector, both of them are contributing roughly 10% of the roughly 30% year-to-date loss in the consumer discretionary sector. So just think about that. 20% of the 30% loss in the consumer discretionary sector has come from Tesla and Amazon. And when you think about Tesla, I don't know. I don't typically talk to a lot of people who are planning to buy a Tesla for their son or their daughter or their grandparents or whoever for Christmas. It's not necessarily the type of consumer discretionary stock that you associate with the holiday season, Black Friday deals and the like. Amazon, of course, is a place where we all go to spend a lot of money, or at least those who are prime members. And so Amazon does have a big component of its business that is related to this seasonal play on consumer discretionary. But Tesla is a global car manufacturer. And it's beholden to demand figures out of China, sales figures out of China, the developments in production in various parts of the world, Germany and otherwise. And so the point I'm trying to make here is when you think about historically the seasonal nature of consumer discretionary and the seasonal nature of cyclicals and how consumer discretionary is shaping up going into the end of the year, the reality is once Tesla overcame that positive earnings hurdle to be eligible for inclusion in the S&P 500 and then automatically got dumped at this big weight into the consumer discretionary sector, in theory, it made the sector look a lot different than it has historically. We haven't seen companies like Tesla have such big weights in the consumer discretionary sector historically. And so when you're trying to think about how the seasonal effect of holiday spending retail sales reports, what we're seeing from folks who go to the malls around the country and tell us about how robust the traffic has been, how much people are spending on these various consumer discretionary goods, that's not necessarily going to have the same impact as it might have had historically on the consumer discretionary sector. Because once again, you've got 20% of the portfolio in a global car manufacturer producing electric vehicles, who, by the way, makes a tremendous amount of their profitability in the credit space, in the space where they're able to generate revenue by selling carbon credits and the like to other companies. So the, the point here is that the consumer discretionary sector from a valuation perspective remains well above the market in terms of forward PE, in terms of trailing PE. We've talked about that before. It does now, at least on a PEG or price to earnings growth perspective, trade below the market on that valuation. And part of that is because it is a sector that has, at least more recently, 
and over the course of the past five years had compounded earnings growth that's well above the market and well above other sectors in the market. But the point of all of this is trying to determine, not just for the rest of the year, but in 2023, what the expectations are for cyclical sectors like consumer discretionary. The reality is that the consumer discretionary doesn't look like it once did. When you look at the various industry groups in the consumer discretionary sector year to date, you've got consumer services down 11%, consumer durables and apparel down 33%, retailing down 27.5%, automobiles and components down 44.46%. So again, the places where Amazon and Tesla live within the consumer discretionary sector have been a tremendous drag on the portfolio. And of course, there's two ways to look at that mean reversion, the outlook for those companies. Amazon, obviously one of the most influential corporations in the country, as is Tesla or as has become Tesla. But before you start to reference historical performance, historical seasonality of the consumer discretionary sector, it's worth pointing out that the makeup of the consumer discretionary sector is much different than it's been historically. So with that, let's look ahead to next week. Again, we, we don't have a ton of earnings data to get to. Very light workday, Salesforce, CrowdStrike, companies that are interesting in terms of their enterprise exposure and the read-through they give us. But on the economic data front, we do have a pretty busy week. We get Case Shiller, we get pending home sales, additional insight into the impact on the housing market of increasing mortgage rates. We get GDP revision. Another look at the overall health of the labor market. We'll also get non-farm payrolls on Friday. And in between the two, we'll get PCE and core PCE, which, of course, as we've talked about, is the Fed's favored indicator of inflation. And will give us a feel for how the inflationary environment is evolving and how it's likely to evolve going into 2023. And, of course, impact Fed policy, which is what, in addition to inflation, the market seems to be paying closest attention to in terms of macroeconomic and policy dynamics in the current market context. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. I hope everyone has a wonderful week and didn't get too stuffed at Thanksgiving or, of course, eating leftovers, which I would argue is the best part of Thanksgiving. Talk to you next time. Bye.